Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, we begin our new series today entitled Family Plan. And uh, today on Mother's Day, we start out talking about the role of the mother, and we'll close out on Father's Day talking about the role of the father. Uh, interestingly enough, did, did all the ladies get a carnation? That's important. Okay, anybody not get a carnation? Okay, now that all you ladies have a carnation, we're going to tell you how you can be a better mom. And... <laughs> started thinking about that. You know, we should really, we should really have a Father's Day message on Mother's Day and, uh, and handle it that way. But uh, we're going to be talking about the role of the mother. We're going to talk about finances, uh, raising kids and grandkids, leaving a legacy. And then again, we'll close out our series uh, on Father's Day. This week is also the launch of our seven-week test drive for our journey groups. If you're not part of a journey group, be it a, a Sunday morning uh, Sunday school class or, or something else, feel free, please join one of those. Uh, we've got, uh, if you go online at m1bc.org, it's not too late uh, to sign up for a journey group. So make sure you do that, and we're just going to kind of take each, each sermon and, uh, and kind of flesh it out just in, in circles so that we can talk about it as, uh, as family, uh, if, if we can put it that way. And it allows us just to develop those relationships uh, even more. In fact, I'm in a Sunday school class, but I'm going to go to a journey group as well and just kind of develop uh, even some deeper relationships. So head over to our website if you're not part of a journey group. Maybe you haven't heard, uh, there's a new store in the Woodlands, and it's called The Husband Store. Have y'all been able to visit The Husband Store yet? It's only for ladies. Uh, there's six floors, and uh, each floor has different men on it. It's only for single ladies, let me be clear. Uh, uh, my wife told me, but no, she didn't, but... Uh, so each floor has just kind of different, different men as part as you can choose, you know, of, of your husband. But they, they have some rules in the store. And, and you have each level you go up, it's like the men get better and better and better. But they have a rule. You can't, once you leave a floor, you can't come back down. And there's only six floors. And so... Uh, uh, and here's how it goes. And so I was talking to a woman about this. She went in, and she's looking for the perfect man. She went in, got on the first floor, and it said, a sign right there, it said, these men love kids. And she looked around, and she was like, well, it's pretty good, but let's, let's level up. You know, let's see what's on the second floor. And so she went up to the next floor, and it said, these men love kids, and they're good looking. Okay, okay. Well, I think I'm gonna still, you know, take my chances a little bit further. So she went up to the third floor, and it said, these men have jobs. Uh, oh, I, I messed it up. Uh, I haven't been to the store, and so I'm, I'm going on memory. I, you know, I don't, I don't quite have it down. But uh, these men, the first one is they have jobs. And so they have jobs, they love kids, and they're good looking. That's floor three. 
And so she goes, you know what, I'm going up to, to floor four. These men have jobs, love kids, good looking, and they help with housework. <laughs> okay, we, we got one owner. She just grabbed a man and, and she's gone. Well, this woman, she goes, I gotta find out what's level five. We gotta know. Goes up to level five, she finds a sign that says, these men have jobs, love kids, are good looking, they help with housework, and they're romantic men. Do you regret not going to the fifth floor? (laughs) She said no. (laughs) That speaks volumes right there. So this particular woman, she goes, I'm going to the sixth floor. Let's just see what it is. So she goes up to the sixth floor, and she reads the sign. It's right as she goes in. And it says, you are visitor number 31,582. <laughs> says, there are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. <laughs> I had a friend send me that. That was at a... Uh, a women's conference uh, on YouTube, you'll find it. But you know, we all have expectations, and what I wanna talk about today, in all seriousness, is the role of the mother. But we wanna look at the role of the mother. Sometimes we, we misunderstand the role of the woman. Our culture misunderstands about what we would be talking about today in a church that is the role of a woman in our homes, in our families. And what I want to submit to you today, the title of today, is that uh, we are looking at the equal partner. And so if you would, let's pray, and then we're going to take a look. Father, we love you. And uh, Father, all kidding aside, Lord, we thank you for our moms. We thank you for the women uh, in our lives, Lord. And I thank you for the young ladies uh, that, that, Lord, are still in the home and, and growing up. Father, I pray for those that are single. And Father, just help us to understand the family uh, better as we go through this series. Father, help us to be uh, better husbands, better fathers, better mothers, better spouses, Lord, better kids. And Lord, just may, may our homes reflect, Lord, what you want uh, for the home. And then, Father, for those that are single, uh, widowed, widower, Lord, may our homes reflect what you want uh, for each of us, Lord. And again, we love you, praise you, pray that your word would be clear uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we, as we look at this, we're looking at the biblical model for marriage and family, and we're talking about the equal partner, the role uh, of the mother. And what I want to do is compare the uh, kind of the scriptural standard for a woman and then the scriptural standard for a man. We're very familiar. Everybody say it with me. What is the woman in, in scripture that we look for? It's a particular Proverbs. Proverbs. Well, that was sad. (laughs) Proverbs 31. You've heard of the Proverbs 31 woman, perhaps. Let me read for you the Proverbs 31 woman. It's going to be up on the screen, but uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Here's what I'm going to do. There's a lot, of, a lot of misunderstanding about the Proverbs 31 woman because there is a lot of culture that is built into that passage, the culture of the day. And what I want to do as I read it, I'm going to pull that culture out 
so that the, we don't trip up on the role of the woman in that culture in uh, biblical times, but I just want to look at and extract the things that are true for all time. And it doesn't mean I caught them all or anything like that, but uh, I just tried to make it a little bit more clear to where we don't get caught in the historical context that, uh, that perhaps would not apply as much or it would at least throw us off track. Listen to what it says, Proverbs 31 And uh, we'll start in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She's energetic, strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear for winter, for her household. Everyone has warm clothes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers not from laziness. Her children stand and bless her, and her husband praises her. As we read that, if you're a man in here, you think you deserve that kind of woman, don't you? Yeah, nobody's brave enough to speak up. At least nobody's sitting next to a woman, I would say that much. We, we think we deserve that kind of woman. But here's what I want you to think about. What is the one thing a woman needs to be a Proverbs 31 woman? Think of one thing a woman would need. There might be multiple things, but there's one important thing that a woman would need to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And here it is. We're talking about the equal partner. It's an Ephesians 5 man. And so I want you to follow me on that. A Proverbs 31 woman needs an Ephesians 5 man. Marriage takes two. We often get caught up on the word submit, and we are going to look at that word today. And and we're going to put it in context of uh, what we do. Uh, You know me well. I like to kid. I like to joke. I like to be sarcastic. And when I do a wedding... I usually pull out that verse submit and, you know, make a little snide remark that nobody appreciates and then move on. But today, I want to, I want to dig into that word and, and talk about it for a little bit because our culture, they condemn us for that word. But I believe if they understood the true biblical uh, model and standard for marriage, they, if they understood the word submit in its biblical context, we would not be uh, condemned for that word uh, near as much because we are talking about an equal partner. So what is an Ephesians 5 man? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, I'm going to read some highlights here. Ephesians 5 deals with the, the, the role of the woman and the man, the husband and the wife. But uh, let me just pick out the things that apply to the man. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is head of the church, 
I do want to stop there because that's the key point uh, for us. A husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. Let me, let me tell you one thing about that, and then we'll move on. That is not up for interpretation. When, when Scripture says the husband is head of his wife, it's not up for interpretation. You have no right to take that and interpret any other way than what Scripture already says it is because there's a clear guideline for what that means in scripture and it's abused a lot in our culture and so we're not given the option to interpret that it says the husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church and so you got to look at how Christ led the church, leads the church, and that is the model, that is the only interpretation of how a man should view his role in the home. It says for husbands, here's what this means. It means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Christ gave up his life for the church. He gave his life for us. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it. Just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. When we talk about Ephesians 5, we usually only extract the one verse that says the wives should submit to their husbands. And we're not allowed to do that in Scripture. Very rarely can you pull out, you know, one little verse and, and it really mean what we think it means without the context of the whole passage. And this is definitely one of them. And so let me read Ephesians 5.21 because we don't often start there. Ephesians 5.21, this talks about equal partners submitting to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I went and looked at all the different translations, and they all agree on this. You know, sometimes we, we've got our Bible, and sometimes a little bit of confusing because maybe, maybe the New Living Translation clears it up a little more than we'd like it to, or the NIV does, or maybe you read the message, and it really, you know, kind of real modern-day type thing. All the passages talk about the same thing. New American Standard, which is the most word-for-word Translation says uh, they are to be subject to one another. Uh, English Standard Version, King James Version, NIV, NLT, they all agree, submitting to one another. And so you have to start with that verse. And so here's the two themes I want you to pull out today is that we're talking about equal value 
and complementary roles. And so as, as we go into this journey of the home, it's really appropriate to start with this idea, what, what is the role of the woman in the home? Because too many times in church culture that, that we, we have this tendency to diminish that role or we're accused of diminishing that role in the church. But in reality, it is a place of honor, and it deserves love, and the role of the man is really more demanding when it comes to holding the relationship together and loving the wife. And so uh, I want you to hear those two themes. It's equal value and complementary roles. And, and here's the deal. If you understand God's plan and design for marriage, you would not change it. And uh, men, women, if, if we would understand this fully, it would correct so many things uh, in our homes. Uh, God's plan is absolutely perfect. And so what does submission look like for the wife? And so we're going to reread a bit of Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Take a look with me, verse 22. It says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That is a strong statement, a very strong statement. Usually that's the verse that's just yanked out, you know, and, and, and talked about. But you cannot leave out verse 21. Verse 21 started with, as husbands and wives submitting to each other. Here's what it looks like for the wife. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And don't forget, when the husband is doing his job, he, he is loving like Christ loved the church. He is leading like Christ loved the church. It is an amazing uh, relationship. For a husband is head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. If, if you want to highlight a verse out of that, if you've already highlighted verse 22, men, and you didn't highlight verse 24, then I encourage you to circle verse 24, highlight verse 24, memorize verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so you I should submit to your husbands in everything. I didn't mean to say verse 24. I meant to say verse 23. And so if you got a highlighter in your hand, then, then you know, you got ahead of me. Too bad. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior's body, the church. It is our, our relationship with Christ, God's relationship with us, is the model of how the home works. In fact, if you are a Christ follower and you are married, your home, the, the very essence of your marriage is intended to give clarity to the gospel and the relationship we have with Jesus. Whereas a non-Christ following home should be able to look at your home and see the gospel within the relationship. Because they see a husband that is loving, 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 loving. And they see a wife that has a husband that is so loving <laughs> that she wants to be in that relationship. Let me put it just a little bit into practice. And, and so why, why does the word submit even have to be in there? 
um, Christ is head over us. He loves us. We submit to him. There's a reality in any organization and any effective relationship. Someone has to take the lead. And, and whether, whether we like it or not, God chose the husband uh, to take that lead. Uh, it does not mean the stereotypical roles of husbands of today or wives of today, and it also doesn't mean the stereotypical role of wives and husbands of the past. What it means is the husband must lead. Let me just give you an example in the church. Everybody wants a church where someone is in charge. We are actually a congregational-led church, and so I point to Pastor Ed as our leader, but as a congregational church, you actually hold the ultimate and final responsibility. But obviously, you have picked a pastor. He's been with us for 32 years, and he is the head of this church. Uh, you got stuck with me, and uh, some of you are thinking, who chose that guy? You know, but uh, you got, I, I am under Pastor Ed, and, and I make a lot of decisions around the church, uh, but I have to submit to my pastor. And I will tell you, my pastor loves me. I have no problem submitting to his authority because he, he, he loves this church so much. He loves me so much. And I have the freedom to do all the things that he has hired me to do or you have hired me to do. But here is the one reality of his position. No matter what happens, he is the one in this church that has the hardest time sleeping at night when something is wrong because he carries the weight of the church. If I make a terrible decision that the church didn't catch or he didn't catch, I have to live with the weight, but in reality, he carries the ultimate responsibility from the Lord as the leader of this church. And he has to answer to God for the role of this church. It is the same way in the home. In the home, if the man doesn't listen to his wife, he's wrong. If we think that the woman doesn't make any decisions, you're crazy, okay? In fact, in my home, usually, if I'm smart, you know, I will, you know, and she's not even in here, and I'm saying that, okay? And uh, I may or may not say it the next hour when she is in here, because, you know, you don't want to do that. The reality is, here's the deal, the role for the husband. Husbands, at the end of the day, you carry the weight of the financial decisions. You carry the weight of the relational decisions. You carry the weight of any decision that was made in the home. A day will come when you and your spouse do not agree. You want a motorcycle. She wants a minivan. And you're just... You decide, I'm the man. We're in disagreement. So we're getting the motorcycle. You bring it home, you strap the car seat onto the motorcycle, and you say, see? And so the man has the right to make that final decision. And uh, all joking aside, there are, there are decisions we just come across and we, we pray about and we don't get clear answer. It is the husband that has to take that role, but then he lives with the weight of that decision uh, under Christ. The wife does too, I'm not saying that, but, but the man is ultimately responsible as the leader to do that. But, so you have all that, but it's not about a relationship 
where one has more value than the other. See, you have to go back to Genesis to realize the value we have under God. In fact, I would submit, even if you take in all the submission things, even if you take in everything else, uh, I realize what I'm about to say is that we're of equal value, but if you look at the Lord and how he treasures and how he asks us to treasure our wife, it's almost as if the woman is the one of greater value. And in reality, if the woman is not of greater value in your home, men, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it very wrong. Genesis 1.27, if the event you think that, uh, that, that the man would have more value, listen to what it says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so what that means is each of us, no matter who you are in here, you, you carry the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. And so the, the male, the female, we, we have all these attributes of ourselves and go ahead and go to the stereotypical attributes of, of God and of, of men and women. God has all of those. And let me tell you what, when God reaches down and he looks at me and he looks at you and he extends grace, that is not a male reaction. <laughs> That is a very stereotypical female reaction of grace. Because you see, each of us, we are image bearers, the male, the female, we are image bearers of God. And he gave different roles to each of us, but we have equal value. Don't think of God as the stereotypical man If you do, you might realize that particular personality might not be the personality that would save you based on how you are and how I am. And so I say all that to say, we have equal value before the Lord. We are the image bearers of God. The the woman is no less value than the man. Husbands, what does submission look like for the husbands? We've said it. For a husband, it means to love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And so what does submission look like for the husband? Man, it is sacrificing everything for your wife. Everything. Look what Christ did, Philippians 2, uh, verse 7 and 8. Christ gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross for me and for you. That is the illustration that God gives for the home. So as couples, we submit to one another, not meaning that there are separate degrees of value. We have equal value and, and complementary roles. And here is why we get married. If you ever wonder, what is marriage all about? Verses 31 and 32. Listen to what it says. We already read it. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration Circle that. It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. 
the way, you're in a church today, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you're watched as a Christ follower. Your car is missing from your driveway this morning. Meaning, when you get home, uh, neighbors might see that your car was gone, and when you got back, they're gonna say, those people went to church. That very fact alone, you are an illustration of what the gospel looks like. And that is a heavy, heavy, heavy weight on each of us. You might ask, what is the best way to represent Christ? What is the best way to share Christ? What is the best way to reveal? The best way is to live out a godly marriage in front of our nation, in front of our community, in front of our friends, our neighbors, and our children. Because it is the picture that our children will have, our neighbors will have of the gospel because that is the way God designed it. It is his illustration. I got two books for you. Uh, Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage, and then uh, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. This is a book that uh, my wife and another couple have gone through. Uh, Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage, Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, two fantastic books. They, they really go a deep dive on what I was just talking about. And, and the concept is in those books, they're, they're not trying to give us a, a step one, step two, step three, you know, to a better marriage. It goes back to the very nature of marriage and how it was intended. Gary Thomas would say uh, marriage was designed to make us holy more than to make us happy. Great quote out of the book. Uh, Timothy Keller in his book, he says, marriage is designed to be a reflection of the saving grace, of the saving love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Our marriages are an example. And let me tell you what, as you look in our culture and you look in, you know, just watch the news, what is the number one institution of God that is under attack today? It's the family. It's the family. Why do you think that is? It's God's institution. You know, our world doesn't understand that, but our enemy does. If you had an enemy, what is the one thing he's going to attack? He's going to find out what you're all about, and he's going to attack you at the very core. And remember, the enemy, yes, he's attacking your family, he's attacking my family, but his eyes are on God, and he is attacking God, and we are caught up in it. It is a spiritual battle. If, uh, if, if I were an enemy, and I knew that there was something of, uh, if I were an enemy of God, I am not, uh, and, and there was this great illustration and metaphor to, metaphor to, to give the illustration of God's love, an enemy would naturally attack that. And, and, and you know what he does? He makes it all about the people, the cake, the dress, and the location. The enemy will build a tension between the genders and will argue about what Scripture says about submit, and we won't even look at verse 21. That's what our culture does. And then the enemy will cause us to compete, to compete for that. And it was never intended. It was intended to be a beautiful, complementing relationship. But rather than completing each other, what do we do? We compete with each other. 
If you're one that would say, you know, we shouldn't spend seven weeks talking about the family, that's dumb, let's talk about the word of God. Let me tell you what, if families in this church do not rise up and reflect what God has to say about the family, then we are presenting a false gospel. Your lips mean nothing if your life doesn't live it. Same for me. I can't stand up here today and then go home and live a, a, a terrible marriage out in front of the world. As a church, we have to get this right. That's why we're doing the small groups with this series. That's why this series is so important. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're single, you're a widowed, you're a widower, you are married, you've gone through divorce, we have to get this right and we have to understand how God put this together because his design is under attack. It is under deep attack. And as a church, we can't just keep looking at other things and not pay attention to the family. We're responsible for that right here. It's at the very core, at the very core of our relationship with Christ. If you're in here and you don't know Christ, then you're probably looking at other people around here to see what are they doing. And then they'll, they'll see how you behave with your, your spouse, and that's a reflection of God's love, whether we like it or not. And you say, Milt, that's not true. Read your Bible. It is very clear the relationship you have with your spouse is an illustration to the world of God's love for his people. You can't get around it. Here are some truths that have to be said that we cannot change. Marriage cannot evolve with culture. Proverbs 31, I took out all the different you know, things that kind of had culture and context related uh, because not many of you women are, are sewing clothes you know, for your children right now. You're, you're going to Target or you're just ordering it from Target and it shows up on your doorstep, right? Nothing wrong with that. But marriage cannot evolve like everything else. Marriage is consistent. It is God's example to the people. Uh, you cannot change its parts. You have to remember that God created marriage. It is his institution and not ours to play with. Marriage is God's blueprint to populate the earth. Marriage must include Christ. Anything else is incomplete. Marriage is a metaphor of Christ's love for us, and it reveals God's intended relationship with us. It is a big deal. All of us are affected by current culture. There's probably not one family in here that at least in your extended family, you don't have gender roles confused somewhere in your family. You have to decide, this is a loving church, okay? This is a loving church, it is not an affirming church, as the term would put it. But we are a loving church. You know me, you've heard it said before, I hate the term, love the sinner and hate the sin. When I hear a Christian say that, I wanna punch him in the face. No offense. But it, it, that comment angers me because Jesus doesn't tell us to react and say, go love the sinner and hate their sin. You know what God says? Love the sinner, period or exclamation point, whichever one you want, period. Go and love. That's all it says. And if you want to hate sin, start with the sin in your own life. Amen? 
And that's just the reality of it all. Well, let me close with this. And I like this part. We talked about an Ephesians, uh, or a Proverbs 31 needs an Ephesians 5 man. Listen to this. An Ephesians 5 man pursues a Proverbs 31 woman in order to create a 1 Corinthians love. Let me read again. An Ephesians 5 man pursues a Proverbs 31 woman in order to create a 1 Corinthians love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love's not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Would you stand with me and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward and if, if you have something you'd like to share with one of our prayer partners, uh, please uh, do so. If, uh, if you'd like to speak to someone more in depth, come to our hospitality room right after the service and, uh, and I'll be in there. Well, let's just close out in just a, a reflective uh, time of prayer. And if, if, if you've heard anything from me this morning, I hope you've heard the importance of love. I'll be the first to say, I'm not an Ephesians 5 man, but I sure want to be. And I've got to hold on to the love of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to chip everything away that my goal would be that someone could call me an Ephesians 5 man. But guess who does call me an Ephesians 5 man? My wife on occasion. <laughs> but God does. Think of how God views you. Women, Proverbs 31 woman, God views you exactly like that. He's the one that hands you a carnation and says, I accept you no matter what. Men, same thing. That's the beauty of the God we serve. Well, let's pray together. And again, if you would like to pray with someone, we're up here. And, uh, and then we'll close out in a second.